Let us together open up God's holy word. We turn this morning to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, reading at verse 8, for verse uh, 28 through to the end of chapter 13. And our text for the sermon this morning is from 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28, to chapter 13, verse 3. God's holy word at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. (coughs) And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love these three, the greatest of these is love. Our text being verse 28 of chapter 12 through chapter 13, verse 3. And then also these words from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 7. Words of our Lord spoken to his disciples and to the Jews. Matthew 7, reading at verse 21 to 23. Our Lord says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, 
you who practice lawlessness. So far from the reading of God's holy word. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we know that we did not first love God, but that he indeed loved us. And he showed that love toward us when he sent his only begotten son into the world to be the only atoning sacrifice for our sins. We cannot help but conclude that indeed God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, we read that God is love. That's what it took for God to first make a covenant with Adam and then to extend it to Noah and then to Abraham and then to all his descendants after that. God has got to be a God of love and grace and mercy, otherwise he would never have done such a thing. We read, for example, in Romans 5 verse 8, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Interestingly, the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 5, verse 23, is love. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is is first love, then joy, peace, and kindness, and so forth. And brothers and sisters, how much don't we need this precious gift of love, the gift of the Holy Spirit, especially when we live in such crazy times as we are living in today, where So many people are perplexed and wondering what really is going on, what really is true, and perhaps at times our patience is being very much tested and our our, uh, respect for one another and people at large is being tried and we forget how necessary it is for brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ to show love to one another and of course love to God who, who called us into his church. How necessary that we serve the Church of Christ for the good of the whole body in love. Love is that most vital component of our Christian faith that makes our faith beautiful. You take love away from your faith and your faith doesn't look so nice. How important love is. It's that more excellent way by which we live our lives in service to God and to each other. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in the last verse of chapter 12, writing to the Corinthians. In chapter 13, Paul goes on at great length to teach us about what divine or what Christian love looks like. Chapter 13, I trust you are familiar with the content. You've probably read it many times, I hope. Various uh, scholars have looked upon the 13th chapter as one of the jewels of the scriptures. What a nice description. One of the jewels of the holy scriptures. Well, Paul goes on to teach us congregation in God's word here for us this morning. And here's our theme. That without love, the exercise of our gifts and service to God are of no value. Without love, the exercise of our gifts and our service to God and for one another is of no value. Now in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul sets forth what the Christian church looks like, how it is a body compared to the human body with so many parts all knitted and joined together, all fit to serve each other. 
all being united in true faith in Jesus Christ, each receiving various gifts of the Holy Spirit according to the grace of God given to us. And now in the 13th chapter, it makes sense that Paul would now tell us how we who are many members and yet one body, how we are now to interact with one another and in particular, how we are to serve one another and of course to serve our God within this body of Christ that we have been made members of to exercise our gifts in this more excellent way. Look at verse 31. Paul there concludes the 12th chapter, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way, that excellent way of knowing how to use the gifts that God has given to us for the edification of one another. And we see in the first place, congregation, um, how we are to exercise our gifts with regard to the gifts of communication and of speech. That first, and we see that in verse 1 of 13. Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. By means of tongues, Paul is simply referring to foreign languages that had been suddenly given to some of God's people in those times to suddenly speak languages that they never knew before. We think of the book of Acts when this first began to take place on the day of Pentecost. This too was a means of prophecy of God making known his holy word to his people in various languages. It was an extraordinary gift of the Holy Spirit to be used for the edification of the saints. Paul mentions that in verse 28 of chapter 12. We read there, and God has appointed these gifts in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings and helps, administrations, and then he concludes varieties of tongues. At the bottom of this list of extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, he mentions uh, tongues, the speaking in a variety of different tongues. The fact that it is mentioned last in this list already tells us something about the priority or the place where it is to be. Not at the top of the list, but it is at the bottom. But now here within the church of Corinth, the gift of tongues had become somewhat problematic. And it wasn't because of the tongue itself, but yet the nature of speaking in tongues could cause sinful saints who have been given to use them to be filled perhaps with a sense of pride or superiority. Guess what? I'm speaking in tongues. God has given that to me and not to you. I've been able to speak in these, these wonderful ways, divine revelation in strange tongues, and it might feel people with a sense of superiority or the thinking that their gift is greater than that of another person. And Paul has to kind of nip this in the bud right away. And he goes on to teach in chapter 14 that the greatest of the gifts was not tongues at all, but it was prophecy. And Paul already alludes to that in chapter 13 at verse 2. <clears throat> now my point here this morning is not to study the various gifts of the Holy Spirit, but simply how God wants us to use them 
regardless of what kind of gift it is, whether they were once extraordinary gifts or simply the ordinary gifts of the Spirit that we need so much in the church today. The point is, how do we use them? And Paul himself sets himself forth as an example to teach of this more excellent way. Uh, Verse 13, 13, verse 1, he says, Though I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Paul mentions the speaking of the tongues of men or of the tongues of angels. Though I speak in these heavenly, miraculous ways of of bringing God's revelation down to our hearts, yet if I speak not with love, if I don't speak with a tender and a gentle and a warm-hearted, caring spirit truly for the congregation, he says that I'm like a clanging clanging a cymbal or like sounding brass. If I don't have a true love for Jesus Christ manifested in my preaching and teaching and for the congregation, he says, I'm basically making an irritating noise. I'm an, I'm an annoyance to the church. I'm a clanging cymbal or a brass being smashed together. If I speak simply to be heard, if you would speak simply to make a name for yourself or to enhance your reputation in the church, you become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And quite frankly, that's annoying and uh, not good. If you speak God's word, perhaps as an elder, as a brother and a sister seeking to bring a word of encouragement or whatever, maybe a word of correction to another person, and you speak with a proud heart, you speak with a bit of a demeaning attitude down toward the people you are speaking to. If you're the teacher in the catechism class and you're kind of just putting it down upon them and without that tender, warm-hearted love and care for their souls. You're going to irritate the listener. You're going to maybe just simply shut them out. And you've become like pieces of metal struck together. And it's a noisy clatter. It's certainly not a symphony, but a cacophony. And the end result is nobody is edified. Congregation, we have to take stock of how we talk and assess the spirit with which we speak to one another. That would be a spirit of genuine care and sincere love for God's people, whether they're old, whether they're young, whether you're in a Bible study and you're sharing your faith, whether you're sharing your knowledge or giving uh, explanation to a certain thing with sincere love for one another speak. And this love I submit to you is divine. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in that love as you speak. It is to be gentle. It's to be humble. It's to be full of that 
servant status, that, that servant disposition, like the Lord Jesus himself. As he taught in a bruised reed, he did not break a smoldering uh, wick, he did not uh, quench, but with love and meekness, serving even those who were unlovable, speaking to those who even were unkind to him, he manifested his own love to his people. And we need to take stock of that, of our own communication skills, uh, of our own manner of speaking to one another. Paul says, but earnest, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. We're talking about excellence. We ought not to simply be low-end or mediocre kind of Christians in our speech, but we really ought to be excellent in our speech. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. There's much to pray for here, congregation. Much to pray for that God will bless you with his grace and with much love in your hearts to speak in this more excellent way. Remember, that's our theme. Without love, the exercise of our gifts and service to God are of no value. And then in the second place, Paul goes beyond simply the idea of communicating itself and to speech to the, to the content that is communicated. Uh, we notice at verse 2, he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Now we look at our theme in terms of the gifts of knowledge and wisdom and miracles. If we have these gifts and yet not love, Paul says, we are nothing, nothing. Paul mentions that most valuable gift that was given to the church at that time, the gift of prophecy. And that was simply to declare divine, infallible revelation, immediately, directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. To speak the mysteries of God that heretofore had not yet been revealed. Such was the task of a prophet. It was an extraordinary gift of the Holy Spirit. While the canon of Scripture was still closed, sorry, was not yet closed, and new revelations had to come to the church for them to get a greater understanding regarding the magnificence of God's grace and all the doctrines of salvation that the people needed to have. And these mysteries, of course, become part and parcel of the epistles that were written by the Apostle Paul and Peter and John and James and so forth. The mysteries of God's will and grace were yet being revealed, but also the gift of understanding such mysteries and all the gift of knowledge pertaining to those mysteries as we see there in that second verse, understanding and knowledge. And then, of course, having the wisdom to teach that new revelation and to make it simple for the congregation to understand. Yes, to be such a prophet of God and yet be devoid of love, Paul says, I'm nothing. 
I'm nothing. No matter how great was the doctrines he explained, but without love, he said, I am nothing. And the Apostle Paul experienced this firsthand because he received such a vast amount of, of divine revelation. We read of these mysteries that he himself received. For example, in, in Ephesians 3, at verse 3, 4, and 5, he says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. There's just one little example. There's other places in the scriptures where Paul speaks of the mystery that was being unfolded, made known to God's people. Paul also was blessed with so much wisdom to understand these mysteries, to, to, to kind of break it down and to make it understandable and logical to God's people. And yet Paul says, if I in all of that preaching and in all of that teaching and in all of that discussion and all that Bible study, if I have not love, he says, I am nothing verse 2. That's quite an assessment he makes about his own self. He says, I am nothing. My work would be of no avail. And then he moves on in that second verse. And, and, and uh, though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul now is referring here not to that normal faith by which a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved, but he is speaking, it seems, of that special gift of faith, whereby the apostles were enabled to do miraculous things, like give sight to the blind and, and, uh, and healing of the sick and making the lame to walk, casting out demons and so forth. He mentions, for example, in verse 30 of chapter 12, he says, do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now, it did mean that there were people who had gifts of healings. He says, though I have the gift of healing, but if I have not love, he says, I am nothing. So also the Lord Jesus Christ indirectly also speaks of some of these miraculous gifts given to the church. Paul says in Matthew 7, 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? And done many wonders in your name? And we'd say, yes, true, they had done that. That wasn't the question whether they hadn't, but they did. But Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, Jesus doesn't there say that they had no love as they exercised these miraculous gifts, but he simply states that they practiced lawlessness though they received these miraculous gifts. That might seem like a rather strange situation, but that indeed was the case. And if he describes them as practicing lawlessness, he's telling us that their works really were evil that they would have had, therefore, no real love for God, 
and no love for those whom they were serving because their works were lawless. If their works were truly lawful, it would have shown in love in their hearts for God and for his people. But now that was not the case. And so congregation is rather revealing to us that God did bestow extraordinary gifts on some people in his church, even though they did not have a true faith in Jesus Christ. Something to think about. We think of Judas, one of the twelve, who preached the word of God, who was sent out as one of those who went out two by two uh, through the surrounding region of Judea and Samaria and so forth. And Judas would have cast out demons too, like Peter, Paul, and the rest of the disciples. And he would have done wonders and miracles too, like the rest of the disciples. But guess what? Judas was really not one of Christ's own, truly, in heart. Judas served his own selfish agenda. We know he loved the money bag and all that had to do with keeping the money in the cash. That was uppermost in his life, it seems. At least that's what we learn from Scripture. He served his own selfish agenda. Love for Christ he did not have, nor for those whom he served. We think of the situation when that woman came to him and, and, uh, and uh, wiped uh, Jesus' tears with his precious ointment, his spikenard, his ointment upon Jesus' feet, and Judas was really ticked off. He says, why wasn't this money sold and given to the poor? He had no love for that poor woman who was, who was suffering so much because of her sin. And so that's how, how things were in the church too. There were those who, who had no love for God and yet were able to do mighty works. We need to examine our own hearts too, brothers and sisters, when we too have been blessed with gifts of knowledge. No doubt some of you are very able teachers teaching your children, being a, a good influence in the church and, and uh, being a good contributor in Bible studies and so forth and teachers teaching catechism, not simply looking at the minister but elders as well who teach as you teach your children in your homes. Examine that spirit with which you speak and teach and exhort one another may it be self-evident in your demeanor that there's genuine love for the people that you're talking to and you're wanting to be edifying toward as you minister something of God's love or something of his knowledge or of his word to their hearts. When they sense love in your heart for them, then they're going to listen. Those sense, you're for real. You really, you really love me. You care for me as you speak towards me. It's seen in your love. Well, brothers and sisters, without love, the exercise of our gifts and our service to God is of no value. That's exactly what Paul says at the end of verse 2. But if I have not love, he says, I am nothing. And then we move to the third verse. He says, a slightly different situation now. He applies the same thing toward 
He says, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now there's a, the end of verse 3 is a little different from the end of verse 1 and 2. Now he's talking about it not profiting me nothing. That too would be of no value. In the third place, Paul focuses on those gifts of service to God and to one another in particular. And notice here the sacrificial nature of these kinds of gifts of helping. <clears throat> he says in verse 3, and, um, and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. The word poor is not here in, in the text in verse 3, but the idea still remains the same. Though I bestow or give all my gifts to, to help a person in need, but have not love for that person, all my giving profits me nothing. I'm trying to help others, but I'm not doing with any real kind of love. It profits me nothing. Notice towards the end of chapter 13, verse 28, or 12, verse 28, there's that little word helps, helps. Gifts of healing, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, the, the gift of helping. In whatever way is necessary, in whatever way the opportunity presents itself, if you're helping but without love, it profits me nothing. Now here's the point. When you exercise your gifts of giving, bestowing upon others what you can give them, it's supposed to profit you something. Not simply the person you're helping out, but notice Paul says, it profits me nothing when I give, if I give without love. It's supposed to profit you something. It's supposed to profit you very much. He goes on to reinforce it. He says, and if I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. He here is speaking of the greatest sacrifice we could ever give in the service of Christ, in the service of his church, to even give up your own body, to become a martyr for the faith, as was not uncommon in those times in the late part of the first century, many people were having to give their life for the cause of Christ because of the horrible times in which they lived and yet wanted to be of service in the church and not deny the faith. If I give up my body to be burned, but have not love, true love for God and true love and service of his people, Paul says, it profits me nothing. He says, I haven't gained a thing. It's of no value the fact that I gave up my life because I did it without love for God. You might think, well, how is that possible? Well, it is. We have an example in Acts chapter 5. I think you all know of Ananias and Sapphira. How they had this piece of property that they sold. It was a generous amount of money that came from that property. And they gave the proceeds of it to the church. But if you look at the chapter 5, you will see what they really were motivated by. They were motivated by, by wanting to boost their pride. 
and to make themselves look good in the congregation, just as good as others who truly had given out of love. They wanted to be praised by men, but they did not give those proceeds out of love for God and for His church. Their giving was not an exercise of true love to God, but of self-love. It was for themselves. And you know what? God judged them accordingly immediately, didn't He? Through His servant, the Apostle Peter. And so the giving of Ananias and Sapphira profited them nothing. Though they were members of the church, though they brought forth their collection bag to the congregation, it didn't profit them a bit. As a matter of fact, the Lord put them to death. One author says here, to give is indeed a fruit of love though not yet love itself. Say it again. To give is indeed a fruit of love, though not yet love itself. For love is a spiritual gift that moves the heart and not only the hands. It's possible for us to give with our hands, but not with our hearts. Truly unto God and that will profit you nothing. Brothers and sisters, the Lord knows our hearts, doesn't He? He knows our generosity. He knows our deceit. He knows our greediness. He knows how cheap we can be towards Him, not rich toward God in good works or giving. He knows our hearts. And as we are called to serve each other here, and be a blessing to each other and doing it out of love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord knows that too when we operate in such a way. And this Christian love is to be the motivating principle out of which we do anything in the church. All that we're called to do, all we're volunteer, able to volunteer to do, we must do it out of love Otherwise, it will profit you nothing. You won't be blessed. You will not gain any spiritual favor with God if you don't have this biblical love in your heart as you serve the Lord in His church. And sad to say, there are people who serve simply out of self-interest. They do want to make a name for themselves. They want to have influence in the church and be a controlling person. Or others serve only very grudgingly because, well, I've got to do it again. My name's on the list. I've got to serve. Or they might do it to merit God's grace. But Paul says it will profit them nothing. We read in Colossians uh, 3 verse 14, uh, a real good point here. Says Paul says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on that Christ-like love and that's a perfect bond that joins God's people together and keeps them knit together in this perfect way, this love of God, truly. 
One other point, He's, an author says, for you see, without love, one quite misses the point of being a Christian in the first place. Without love, you quite miss the point of even being a Christian in the first place. Again, look at the Lord Jesus Christ, how he served so sacrificially from his heart and that profited millions and millions of believers throughout the world. And what an immeasurable blessing it was to them for all eternity. Jesus gave up his life out of love for sinful children like you and me for a reason. Yes, of course, to save us from our sins, to make us righteous, of course, but also to fill us with God's love so that we would be a transformed people filled with God's love so that we can manifest God's love to our brother and sister, to our neighbor, to our fellow man. Why is it so that God wanted to save us, to fill us with his love? Well, love gets at the very essence of God's own heart, doesn't it? It gets at the essence of what it most is to bear the image of Christ. Yes, holiness, righteousness, and knowledge, to be sure. But even those things without love don't quite make up to be what they really ought to be. God made us to be lovely in his sight, to be obedient, loving children, so that we could be a blessing, so that we could manifest that fragrant love of Christ in the hearts of each other. And then you know what then? You indeed will profit very much from that. And that's not a selfish thing. That's a biblical thing. God wants us to be blessed. God wants us to profit from a life of godly, loving service to his people. Indeed, we know, as we hear in many places in God's Word, that if we live with a Christ-like love, loving deeds and loving service to one another, Jesus says we will by no means lose our reward in heaven. Amen.